So I'm Tim again. I'm one of the co-pastors, co-founders of this church we call Root and Branch. And before I start, I just want to put the guiding question we have for today uh, in your minds, which is, what does community mean here at Root and Branch at this place in this church? What does community mean? We're starting, uh, as Neil mentioned, a series of talks, sermons, whatever you want to call them, conversations around um, what's been titled a manifesto for the manifesto. <laughs> Uh, this is the sort of attempt we're doing where we're starting this new year. We're basically saying, hey, this is who we are, what we're about, what we believe, um, why community is important and needed in this world. Before I get into all that, I think it's really important for me to point out one way in which this group has already responded emphatically to that question of whether or not churches like this are important, which is our pledge drive is over. Uh, we just finished last week, so you'll be thankful not to hear too many more uh, pleas of that sort, but I don't really have quite the words. Uh, thankful, awestruck, just blown away that we had this goal of $50,000 in pledges, um, which if I'll be honest with you, I thought like, you know, we'll set it high. If we get 40 or so, we'll be happy with that. But this community responded to raise actually $10,000 over that goal. So we're, at cl we hit, we're about close to 60,000. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what else to say, but that's crazy and awesome. And um, every time I think that something is impossible, it's shown to be the opposite. And you know, many of you increased your gifts this year. We've had a good handful of new pledgers and um, it's really helping us to start this year with what we thought might be a sense of deep anxiety, but actually is uh, real hope and promise. And so as we do that, we're coming in and we're saying, uh, here we are as a community. These are the things that are important to us. This is what we believe, right? And so why are we doing this? I think part of it is that even four years into this project, this thing that we started, uh, Root and Branch, this church is often fundamentally misunderstood in a lot of ways. I, I think a lot of that is because we're in uncharted territory as a society when it comes to things like organized religion and spirituality and communal, communal life. We're still trying to understand how these things work in this modern world. And we're often looking at them through paradigms and uh, concepts that are still of the past, right? They're still old ways of looking at things. And at times we may not fit well into those categories, right? Even categories that are sort of emerging as people are trying to do work to explain the world better we may not fit quite well into those either. Right? What kind of church are you? What do you believe? There's a conversation I had with a friend of mine that sticks in my brain. Um, Kevin, you were there, so I, I, you might remember it too. But you know, I was hanging out with a friend, um, sitting outside, having some drinks. And this friend, who's familiar with our community, um, asked me some questions that really were more like accusations than they were questions. right? He said to me, it's great to be open and accept people and have conversations, but I don't really understand what is actually Christian about what you're doing, what you're teaching, right? And such is the way that I think church has looked for a lot of us for a lot of our lives, most of our lives probably, um, where things like questioning and doubt and dialogue uh, are either evil or secondary to believing the right things, the proper things. And I'll admit, even for myself, there have been times over the, the course of these years where I've 
been like, where are these conversations leading? Right? Where is God in this? Thankfully, whenever that kind of thought occurs, I sort of find myself always back within a conversation. Um, one, I've been privileged to have a lot of them <laughs> in the last four years, right? In uh, welcome tables that we do over dinner church, um, in this theater, uh, a lot of beers and coffee, um, a lot of conversations, right? And, you know, each one to me, I, it's sort of like you take each one of these conversations and I'm sort of adding them to this as a little piece of this mosaic, right? That when I step back from it, I can kind of see maybe sometimes, I'm not sure, the face of God, a picture that emerges of who God is, right? a face that is changing with every piece and conversation that is had after. And then I also remember that, you know, we didn't start this church because we thought that having vulnerable, interesting, intellectual conversations was just fun or something to try. Uh, we didn't start it because we were secretly planning one day to be like, we got you and this is really what the truth is. Um, we started it, I started it because I had experienced and come to believe that the way to know God was to know one another. This is how Neil wrote it in this manifesto, that to uh, live into conversation and openness and the quest itself, right? Conversation, openness, and the quest itself, to buy into that, to experience it, to believe in it, uh, I think can reveal a lot more about something like incarnation and the divinity of Jesus than a creed can. I think that um, living into that kind of life can make the idea of creation being something of, out of God's abundant love much more real than just a sermon. I think conversations like that can teach us more about sin and salvation than uh, looking at the Bible for various do's and don'ts. Um, I think conversations like that can offer grace that is uh, much more powerful than a doctrine. I remember after all that, that there is this core belief that whatever, whoever God may be, that community is the place where God is revealed. The story that we heard Myra read is from Mark. It's a bit curt. Uh, Mark is very famous for being not very interesting to read in some ways, but straightforward, not a lot of backstory, not a lot of telling you what's happening. And so in the other, like Matthew has a same story like this. And in that story, uh, when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to follow him, he actually performs like a miracle. And then they're like, oh, this guy must be important. We'll follow him. But in Mark's version, Jesus basically like shows up in Galilee. He says this thing, um, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And then he goes to these guys and he's like, follow me, basically. And they do it, right? Instead of reading into that passage, the things that Matthew wrote, I think it's worth taking Mark for itself, right? And using our own imaginations to think about what this text might be saying. And I'm struck by the line, uh, I will make you fish for people, right? Which I think is instructive here within this miracle-less version that Mark gives us because you have to ask yourself, what is compelling about this line, right? When Jesus says, follow me, I will make you fish for people. Why would anyone hear that and, 
and follow and actually leave everything that they had um, to do that. Jesus, of course, you know, uses the experience of these particular people as a metaphor, right? If he was walking by, I don't know, like Wall Street or something, and there was an investment banker doing whatever investment bankers, I actually have no idea, like, um, <laughs> no, he might have said, like, follow me and I will make you invest in people. Or, again, I don't know anything about investment banking, but some sort of metaphor of that sort, right? The idea is that um, the point that the call that we hear from God is, is familiar, right? It's based in the lives that we're living. I also think it's interesting that the very proclamation of Jesus' mission, again, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news, is immediately followed by this familiar call to join a community, right? a community that is about bringing people into it. So when I hear this passage, what I'm actually hearing is this interpretation, which is Jesus saying the time has come for a new reality, a new reordering of things in the world that is different than how things usually are. So bring people together, be changed, and you will see that new reality. It sounds really simple when you think of it that way. It's like get together, hang out, uh, and somehow God will emerge out of that. But we know, I think, that it's actually not that simple, right? Um, which is also evidenced by the, where the story goes from here for Jesus and his disciples, right? But to sell people on community is a pretty easy thing as far as I have experienced. I think, you know, number one, community is um, a fundamental need and desire of human beings, right? It's like how we've operated from, what do you call those things? Hunter-gatherer times, right? Um, all the way till now. And our, but our present moment, I think, is particularly broken uh, when it comes to community in fundamental ways that we're still trying to grapple with, right? We, on one end, no longer need to cooperate uh, to gather food. So that is an aspect that is lost for us, all the way to our technology and our phones and all that kind of stuff, sort of isolating us, pulling us away. Um, if you don't watch Black Mirror, I don't know what you're doing. I highly recommend watching it. It's so painful <laughs> and, and, and it makes me feel like, man, we need God. You know, it's like the one show that actually does that. So, but I've rarely ever met someone in my life who if I said, do you like community? Do you want community in your life? They would be like, no, there are a couple I would say, but it's rare. What is more difficult for us to accept than the very idea of community is an actual community of real people, right? People who are messy, and complicated and imperfect, um, who don't always think the same things as you, right? who don't always show up the way that you need them to, um, right? And, and those things can really hurt and can suck. Um, but if there is, the reaction to that truth is to run away, I think there's a huge price that one pays, right? There's a huge price to pay in my opinion, from one, running away from this messy humanness. Because apart from it, I think we as people, as we're just inclined to do, will always be piecing together some picture mosaic of God, right? Or you call it of truth or of love or of what justice ought to look like, right? You're still trying to piece that puzzle together. But if you are out of that messy, complicated human relationship, you will find that as you step back, that face that emerges from that mosaic, 
really will look a lot like yourself. Right? You may just see your own face. Uh, I sort of imagine that Donald Trump wakes up every morning and that's basically all he sees, right? If that doesn't paint a bleak picture for why that's not a good way to do it, I don't know what else, what else will, but that is, a, that is a true danger of that kind of removal. There's a story from the Old Testament that I think about a lot for some reason. It's a story where two brothers, Jacob and Esau, after a long period of estrangement, they come to meet each other again. And when they meet, Jacob says to his brother, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. But the backstory here is not that they were, you know, tight bros who just life got busy and then they came back, right? The backstory is that these guys had real beef, right? The run up to this meeting is fraught with anxiety and tension and fear because there's a very real possibility that when they do come face to face, Esau will just straight up choke Jacob and kill him, right? Um, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. I mean, for some reason, I just, it's such a beautiful idea to me and it's one that comes to mind when I see like my mother who I don't see that often, right? I, see her, I haven't seen her for six months and I see her or a friend that I've missed dearly that there's something really true for that. I think we can all kind of maybe have a sense of that, uh, that sentiment, right? Whether maybe it's in your dog, I don't know. But to see your face is to see the face of God. But how can a statement like that be true for us in an encounter such as that with Jacob and Esau? One that is not like missing somebody, but more like fearing somebody. I'm going to read another pa I want to read a passage uh, for you from this guy, Christian Wyman. Many of you probably read this passage by now. I've probably talked about it a lot. But it's something that is really important to me, I think, is really useful to us to think about when we think about who Jesus is. So he says, It is easy enough to write and talk about God while remaining comfortable within the contemporary intellectual climate. Even people who call themselves unbelievers often use the word gesturally as a ready-made synonym for mystery. But if nature abhors a vacuum, Christ abhors vagueness. If God is love, Christ is love for this one person, this one place, this one time-bound and time-ravaged self. Christ is a shard of glass in your gut. Christ is God crying, I am here. And here, not only in what exalts and completes and uplifts you, but here in what appalls, offends, and degrades you. Here in what activates and exacerbates all that you would call not God. To walk through the fog of God toward the clarity of Christ is difficult because of how unlovely, how ungodly that clarity often turns out to be. We're coming out of Christmas, of course, and uh, story of Jesus' birth, and for many of us, you know, we talked about this two weeks ago, Neil posited the question, what is your reaction when you hear the name Jesus, right? And there was a lot of strong response, a lot of it negative, right? People who had a very visceral kind of dislike, in a way, and I think uh, even for those of us like me who've studied Christ, Christologies, things like that on a graduate level, there still is a great deal of confusion and it's hard to wrap our minds around this thing sometimes, right? But it's hard to be a church without making some attempt. And I think we're going to try to do that more in these coming weeks along with 
this discussion about our beliefs. But as we start today to ponder that question, rather than reaching deeper into theology and the Bible and history for answers, I think we need to start by simply looking one another in the face. If God is love, Christ is love for this one person, this one place, this one time-bound and time-ravaged self. You know, like I said in earlier, God is revealed in community, in a community that can uh, love in this very plain, right in front of your face, very unmystical, very tangible and hard and real kind of way. Lastly, basically, I want to say that, I mean, so we've all heard this cliche. It's not about the destination, it's about the journey, right? And I, you deserve better than such a trite and uh, oft-heard thing, but I did some calculation between how long it would take me to think about a new metaphor and whether it was worth it, and I decided, screw it. So, <laughs> you've all heard that before, you know it, you uh, get what it means, right? It's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And simply put, you know, I think that the Christian life is often thought of as this thing where the destination is what's important, where the ultimate destination perhaps, right? Eternity, heaven, hell, that sort of thing um, is like the forefront. The destination being the right beliefs that you have about who God is and what this stuff means and what the Bible means and et cetera. Um, but for us here, the claim that we make is that it's about the journey to be people who are able to love one another enough to see the face of God. I don't know why that makes me emotional, but it does. Crying is okay, it's all right, it's okay. And so to answer the question, right, what does it mean to be community at Root and Branch? That's basically what it means, I think. We are um, a place about the journey. We are a place about taking the pieces of lives and complicated, messy things, with the kind of love that paints, that shows us, reveals to us somehow the face of God, right? Even though we don't have an answer as to like what that face will exactly look like all the time. I wanna, I'm gonna invite you over these next, I don't know how many weeks we're doing, six weeks maybe, including this one, to think about not just what we say we think core values are, but also what they mean to you. So. I had this original thought to like kind of do a thing where we would all write down what community means to us, but um, then I decided it was maybe too cheesy. But I want you to think, as you go off this week, not just community is definition for me, right? Because I think that that's a bit too abstract and not really quite getting at what I'm saying. The question to ask ourselves is, 
community is a place where I can dot, dot, dot. Right? Community is a place where I can dot, dot, dot. And you could be a lot of different things. Um, but think about that as we come back together over these times, do welcome tables, have conversations. I hope that we can be part of all enacting and making that true. Amen.